Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and our very own Baby Yoda, Nick Bertabapis. I'm Baby Yoda. You're Baby Yoda. Incredible. I've, I've never felt so blessed. I've watched I've watched maybe four <laughs> episodes now, and I'm, yeah. I'm really not into the parts of the show that aren't footage of Baby Yoda. I mean, you, you're, you're Baby Yoda now. That's true. I should buy a mirror. That would be a great yeah. investment. He's adorable. I'm adorable. You you are adorable. Someday I want to make like a. I want someone, not me, someone else, to make a compilation of like all my introductions of you on this show. Once we have like two hundred of them, I support that. You like I just think that would be really funny. I think it's just going to be all downhill from here because I can't think of anything better than Baby Yoda. Actually, I can't think of anything. I can. Only I mean, I think I. Baby Yoda. I think Baby Yoda was probably like my 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 highest point of inspiration but i have i have a backlog of these i think of i think of these all the time in my in my free time wow so you're i have like me? that's nice hundreds ready to go <laughs> i'm thinking of words for you too but they're not nice <laughs> <laughs> hey nick uh what, what do you want for christmas uh, i mean uh, if i'm already baby yoda then i guess i, I guess i I guess I want a big fat frog and social. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Huh? I was thinking you would want a frog, and I want, I want, I want, it, I want it to be socially acceptable too. I don't want to feel ashamed about eating my big frog. Just like gobbling it, just down my throat. Yeah. Even even in the even in Baby Yoda's world, it's not socially acceptable for him to eat the frog. People give him weird stares. I know. It's that really that moment for me really characterized. Baby Yoda, I was like, oh, he, he succeeds to peer pressure. <laughs> he can't see himself. That's his problem right now. I really can't wait to see where his character arc takes him. Yeah, I think it's really one of the most captivating things in modern television. Yeah. I don't know why they, they keep messing around with, like, like, there's so many interesting questions just about Baby Yoda. Like, why don't we just spend, an, like, a day in the life episode, you know? I am. I'm heavily inclined to agree. Does he poop in his diaper? Does does someone? You know, I was. I was just thinking about that the other day. Hmm. Like, I don't think we should ever see this on television. No, I. I But like, you know, the Mandalorian must change some diapers. Right. That's true. Right. I mean, he could just send him with his face. Like I should. I should really qualify again that this is never something that I want to see on television or in any other media format <laughs> you don't want to see, you want to see diapers baby diaper yoda diapers i want to see none of it that would be a good comedy you could baby yoda he could have to be changed in the middle of battle that would be an episode so right i i am um, my pitch for an episode is that i absolutely think that there should be an episode where the mandalorian teaches baby yoda how to shoot a gun what he's a baby what? Yeah, <laughs> and he Joe, needs to know. Joe, he needs to know how to defend himself. That's true. Every, every time Baby Yoda's not on screen, I'm worried. I'm worried. It's terrible. Me too. It, it's 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 actually it's like really annoying to watch because every time I don't know exactly where he is or that he's safe, I'm I'm just entirely worried. That's all. I'm yeah, thinking. he is the center of my tension when he is on and off screen, and also when I am not watching the show in my sleep. Uh, you know. Yeah. At the office, God, everywhere. How would how would you compare Baby Yoda to the Porgs? To the what? 
The Porgs no, from the Last Jedi? Review. I don't need to. Porgs who? That's my... I can't... It's even difficult to say. Porgs what? Porgs who? Porgs what? I only care about... I only care for one. Right. I mean, see, I'm I'm pro-Porg, but I, th- I think that Baby Yoda just tops them. I'm just... Porg is old news. So many Porg, ways. Porg is last season, man. Hey, does the new... Does the new Star right. Wars have an adorable creature that I can get into? I've seen no creatures from Rise of Skywalker. No creatures? There's this hairy horse. I mean, like, I, I I might be forgetting something, but, like, I, I have not seen any creatures in the marketing for this one. No, there's, there's like, Wookiee horses. We saw that a long time ago. Oh, you're correct. Yeah. But, like, I'm thinking, like, in The Last Jedi's marketing, we got we got Mega Porgs, and we also got, like, that Ice Fox that lives on, um, uh, Crate. What? There was an Ice Fox in that movie? It, like, shows up, it, it's, cool. um... Oh, within the cave? Yeah, it's pretty dope. It shows oh. up for, like, I think, like, five seconds in the movie, but it's, like, at the beginning of one of the trailers, so people focused on it. Huh. Icebox, that's cool. That must be someone just, like, drew yeah. something cool, and they were like, let's put this in the movie. And they didn't know how. Icebox. I don't even know what that is. There was also a, um, around the same time Last Jedi came out, they made a new Pokemon that, that was in Icebox. <laughs> that's funny. What's its name? Tell me three names. Tell me two. Two. Let me do it. Um, so it's it's the um it's the Alolan form of Vulpix. Oh, that's <laughs> Which I know one. means I nothing to, to you. I was trying to see if there was a fake. Uh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm paranoid for for fake. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've spent five minutes talking about Baby Yoda, which I think is our, our, our requisite for, for getting more listeners on this show. But Nick, you have a thing for me? Uh, yes, but I will still be thinking about Baby Yoda while I talk about it. You've totally thrown my Oh, me rails. too. You've, you've taken my rails. And- I, I won't be listening to you, actually. I will just be dreaming softly of Baby Yoda. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, well, the thing I liked this time around, this time around the block, was uh, the movie breakfast at tiffany's and i have to be specific because apparently there's lots of media going around this this movie that's what i discovered first i found out it was based on a book um, and i was like wow that seems like a good book to read um, and then i found out that it was a song from the 90s that apparently it's incredible i haven't heard of and uh, then i found out that it's a video game an rpg um, what no sorry that was a that was a lie. whoa 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 a joke jokes nick i was prepared to google yeah well that was that was just a joke i'm sorry it's not but it is a musical (laughs) with nudity what you just said which is super exciting because music is so great um i mean we should we should qualify that that we discovered that this this but we were doing some research pre-show uh and we were reading articles about things that were not uh, the nudity in this Broadway musical, but then Articles we did discover that. I, I, I was reading an article. You were you? Yeah, Joe, and like the cool. first line mentioned that uh, Amelia Clark is 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 nude in this musical, which was foreign to us because we weren't aware that nudity could happen in musicals. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's that's really for a different class of people. That's <laughs> just like. It's, it's so classy. I, I can't even imagine being in that situation. 
but it turns out the runs yeah. so well oh definitely it was in 2013 <laughs> bummer anyways what was i talking about baby yoda you were talking about breakfast at tiffany's <laughs> Man. uh yeah breakfast at tiffany's it was a great movie um i really liked it here's what it's about since you don't know joe um one woman is alone on mars um and she's got to shoot all these other booger aliens. And uh, that's where the video game got its inspiration. <laughs> anyway, so uh, she's living alone in uh, New York, the new New York on Mars. It's new New York. Um, and uh, she's sort of a eccentric. That's what that's sure. the word. Okay, she's Zanian out there. That's true. Sure. Uh, Great. She's not rich, but she sort of lives a great Gatsby style life where she has lots of parties and knows lots of people, but doesn't really like any of them. Uh, that sort of thing. And she's sort of wacky and, you know, uh, we get introduced to her from her new neighbor who's a writer named Paul and she won't call him Paul. She only calls him Frank and, uh, ropes him in to her. Well, she doesn't rope him in, but he goes into her apartment and then she's like, ah, I gotta go and to the prison and like do all these crazy things. And here's my cat and it doesn't have a name. I'm, I'm Holly. And, uh, she has this really silly voice. I don't know what kind of voice it is. Uh, you'll have to look at it. Well, you'll have to look at it, Joe, after, and you'll have to give me your opinion because I, I don't know what kind of voice it is. There's a part in the movie where you know someone says that they, they trained her to that voice, but it's still pretty random, um, but it's loads of fun. Okay. Uh, this movie is, you know, it's from the 60s, um, but it's, it feels a lot like a book. Uh, every, every, I mean, most of the scenes, I'd say pretty much every scene, is just a conversation between two people. You know, you know the type. I mean, like in older movies, like long drawn out, you know, not drawn out, drawn out is a negative sounding word, but like one scene in one place and the characters sort of move around, like a play. Like, you know, they move around the set. Yeah. Things happen to their emotions. That's how it feels. It feels like a lot like a book in that way. Um, and I thought, I thought, this movie did a good job of sort of having a lot of dialogue in that way, but also being very, very tight. Like everything that anyone says in this movie is important in the moment and later. Um, I think it's pretty great. Like it, it feels like a, like a fancy book in that way, which I guess it probably is. So there's that. Um, cool. I can't pretend to understand all of the thematic stuff going on, but like everything, every, everything on screen i was like that's gotta mean something as i stroked my, <laughs> my chin um anyways it's i have to rewatch it because it's it's one of those things where i think like you know like a book the more you uh, read it you know you sort of get more out of every little every little piece of it um and so i think it's pretty mm -hmm. good i think you should check it out yeah um, and also, since we were researching, we have to mention, uh, I actually forgot his name, so you're going to have to do it. Uh, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> uh, what's, what's, who's that? What's his deal? So the, the important thing to mention about this movie, uh, if we are going to be wrecking, uh, like, you know, recommending it in any capacity is that Mickey Rooney plays a Japanese man in this movie and it's extremely racist. There's a whole Wikipedia page on, on how racist it is. Uh, and that's, that's our huge qualifier for today. So my thing this week uh, is uh, so some background for this is that I've had a, a subscription to the the DC Universe app, 
that I got for my birthday and it lasts one year and I've made exactly one use of it, which is to watch the, the Young Justice TV show. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I haven't touched the app despite, despite like, you know, technically not paying for it because I got it for as a birthday present, but, uh, you know, owning it. Uh, and I realized that I should probably use this thing that I, I have access to, uh, even though I'm not the biggest DC Comics guy. Uh, and because we've been talking about Avatar so much on the show, on the show, and uh, that's written by Gene Yang, I decided to check out uh, one of his more recent uh, uh, comics that uh, you know I I think we've both previously read at least like the first volume of. Yeah, I read. Uh, and that is uh, New Superman. That's Superman with a hyphen, uh, which is about uh, the the Chinese iteration of Superman. Uh, uh, his name is uh, Kenan Kong. Uh, and his whole deal is that he he starts off as as you know kind of a big jerk. He's a he's a huge bully. He he goes around beating up this uh, this kid who goes to his school and like calling him names for being uh, chubby. Uh, but um, essentially, he he gets selected uh, to uh, sort of represent China uh, on this this Justice League of China that the the government is creating there. Uh, and uh, they find a way to to give him like the 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 spirit of Superman, uh, who at this point in in DC Comics history, I guess is is dead. Uh, <laughs> but he comes back later. I'm I'm not huge on that because I'm not an expert on on DC Comics stuff. Uh, I believe this was around the time of of Rebirth, so I think there are two Supermen running around. <laughs> Okay. Uh, comics are weird, but anyways, so, uh, so, so what we get here is sort of this, this hero's journey of like, like Kenan learning to, uh, become like a, a good person and a good hero. Uh, and like the, the, the interesting bit, which you don't really get with the first, uh, volume, uh, is that like a lot of the series is like him, like he, he loses access to like pretty much all of Superman's powers, like early on. And, like, how it ends up happening is that he has to, like, you know, gain them almost in the style of a video game. Uh, like, as he becomes a better person and as he, like, reflects, like, the moral character of Superman more. Oh, that's like... Uh, um, and they... It's like uh, at Breakfast at Tiffany's when she has to shoot down the, the, the super rats running at her in all directions. I, I, I wouldn't be familiar. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the the um, the final final battle scene breakfast breakfast of tiffany sounds like a much stranger movie than i imagined it being yeah knowing only the name <laughs> no it all, it all it all it's all set up very nicely i don't think there's any breakfasts in that movie there's huh. how many counting the breakfast maybe one breakfast possibly one Do you so count- having <laughs> Is a croissant on the street, like walking on the street with a croissant? Is that, is that <laughs> I don't think that counts as breakfast. I mean, do what you no will, breakfast. but there's no breakfast in the movie. <laughs> I think you're, you're gonna have to count that croissant. <laughs> so the thing about New Superman that I, I really enjoyed that didn't really come through in the first volume is that it like is this story about like you know the, this kid learning to become better, uh, in like you know. There is this great line at the end of it. Like, like, I don't think that the first volume is bad. I think really the things that didn't work for me were like mainly the art, which I didn't feel like quite jived with the story. Uh, and that ends up 
they, they change artists uh, pretty soon after. Uh, so it, it changes to something that I think like reflects the, the tone and the theming that they're going for much better. And what's it like? Uh, like? It's, it's a little bit softer. It's a, just like, it's a tiny bit more cartoony. Um, it's still like in sort of that superhero style. I believe it's, um, it's Billy Tan who does the art. Hmm, cool. I didn't like the uh, art personally. Yeah, I, I didn't love it in the first volume, but I believe he's only, or that artist is only there for the first six issues. Cool. But there is this um, this great line at the end of um the first volume, which I really like, uh, where uh you know spoilers, uh, uh Kenan's dad, who like is uh sort of a, a superhero supervillain character, he ends up dying. What? Um, and uh, wait a moment. Think about this is it's like it's coming back like a like a long forgotten dream. Like everything you say makes sense, but I don't remember anything that you haven't said. Who's his dad? <laughs> uh so his dad is working with like this um this sort of group of freedom fighters. But they're sort of working to like bring democracy to China and you have like this interesting contrast where like initially because Superman is working for the government, uh like you know, uh you have the group that I think like we as like Western readers uh, would like root for is like kind of the bad guys. Okay. And so that that's like interesting to me, and they do interesting things with that. Um, and like you know, there there is an arc later on where like the the Justice League of China kind of uh, breaks away from the government, and there are like wait, wait, some wait. cool twists and turns there. Okay, here's something I remember: Batman is called Bat Hyphen Man. Is that right? Yes. 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 All of all of the characters are are hyphenated. Nice. Which I think is a really funny, neat touch. <laughs> See, I remember the things. Um, yeah, and his his name is um. I, <laughs> I found it really funny because his name is uh, I believe Baiji Wang, <laughs> so his last name is Wang, like Wayne. <laughs> so I mean, the 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 cool thing for me about the series is that like, uh you know once we pass that first arc like they they do a lot of like mini arcs that sort of focus on like the characters in like a more personal context and really help me like sort of understand like who these people are and like where they're coming from uh in a way that i think like the first volume didn't for me hmm. and you also just like you know get a fleshing out of relationships uh they bring in like wait, wait, wait. Um, there's other characters there's probably a girl romantic interest right uh, so there is a a sort of a red herring romantic interest. There's there's this um there's this female reporter, Lainey Lan, who shows up. Uh, who uh, Kenan is like. Hmm? I think that one's funnier. I, I like that one, and I'm laughing for the same reasons you were laughing at Wayne. But... <laughs> Right. And like we're we're meant to think of her as like like initially like obviously oh she's like Lois Lane, uh, but like you know she's an adult whereas our main character is a teenager, uh, and so you know he has a crush on her, but like uh, quickly the story veers in a different direction. Uh, there's like some good romance subplots I think in this book. Okay, wait. So there's probably a a third and third character who is his friend doesn't know he's superman right some sort there's of not actually the the supporting cast is like entirely people who are like are aware of his secret okay. identity he's because in, um, at the beginning of the series because of kenan's massive ego he decides to reveal on national television that he is superman oh, I so there's that. no there's no secret identity component 
Yeah, I knew that. I remember that. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. I'm sold. I want to read this this new Superman thing. Is it yeah, I think I think it's absolutely worth revisiting. It ran four volumes, uh, which is kind of a shame because it, it it when it ends, like you just kind of get the sense of like, oh, they got canceled because they really just like have one issue to wrap things up, and it's like fairly inconclusive. Wow, that sounds a lot like something something else Jin Yang wrote. Something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I one of the reasons that I chose this as a thing to talk about, and this is perhaps like jumping ahead too much, but um, I wanted to to reflect positively on uh, something that he he's written. Like, you know, even though we have been raving about like all these Last Airbender books, I wanted to like have something in this episode that we were positive about. A wound so fresh. <laughs> I'm hurting. I'm hurting, Gene. Yeah, but I I heavily recommend New Superman. Uh, Nick, would you like to get to the main event? Joe, I would like nothing more. So today we are talking about Avatar Last Airbender North and South, which is the final uh, book that Gene Yang and Gear Hero collaborated on for the Avatar Last Airbender comics. Um, would you like to, to go over the plot, Nicholas? Yeah, uh, so... We, uh, sort of in the last trilogy, Aang went off to the Fire Nation to help Zuko with those spirits, with some spirit problems. So last time we heard of Katara and Sokka, they were headed to the south, which makes sense. They were going back home after a, a number of years uh, that we are not certain of. Um, but Yeah, probably a couple, two, three. Two to three. Did you say two to three to me, Joe? I did. God damn it. God damn it, Joe. Okay, we're gonna get into the timeline. I mean, don't let me forget. <laughs> right, don't right, right. Um, I mean, the the events of the show take place about over the course of one year, I believe, and then there's a one year time jump at the beginning of the comics. So that puts us in the two to three year range. Well, yeah, except that it's, it's summer at the end of the show. <laughs> so I mean, there's you know, there's some months until winter, like four months. Okay, please continue summarizing the plot. <laughs> Okay, um, right, so Katara and Sokka go back home. We open on sort of Katara dreaming about her mom and how nice things used to be in the village. It's really a nice scene. Probably my one of my favorite scenes, probably, is her dreaming. Yeah, I like that one. Um, yeah, so you right away get the idea that it's a Katara-focused book and that it's going to be focused on probably the South and how it's changed, which is true. Um, and then you get into the South and, you know, there's some more... I'm not going to say they're bad, but like, you know, little gimmicky things. Like you get, you get into there and the guitar is like, oh man, this is a nice new port. And Sokka's like, oh yeah, let's go this way to go home. And then they're like, oh man, remember penguin sledding? And then there's like a nonsensical fight scene, but like, it's sweet. It's all sweet. And like, it's playing a bit on this nostalgia from the first episode. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, it's fun at first. Yeah. I, I, I think what was probably going on there, at least the sense I got was that, I don't know. I don't know how early, like on in the process, Gene Yang was like aware that this was his last book on the series. Like that is just something we don't know. But you do kind of get the sense that he wanted to like, you know, bring things around and create a little bit of a bookend. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's been. I think my favorite thing about this. Well, my favorite thing, you know, coming up to the series is how much it's set up. Like you get Katara, you know, in the rift getting burned, a sick burn from one of those. Water Tribe girls are like, you don't even know anything about the South, you stupid Katara. 
you just left home to be famous. And she's like, oh man, she's right. Remember that? Um, I do. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good, good, good setup, and I, I like the way it played out. Um, over, you know, it, it took a while, but you definitely got there. And like even in the search, like her meeting people, other water tribe people, like you know, it's it's there. Um, anyways, it, it makes sense for like the next thing to happen. And I like that it's a more character-focused, well, theoretically a more character-focused one than before, if that makes sense. Um, right. But the problem is, Joe, you know what the problem is? There's, I, I have many problems. No. No, the problem in, Joe, the problem... The oh, the problem, the problem in the, the story context? Yeah. <laughs> There's a big city where their tribe used to be. And uh, it's it's sort of like the Rift, where there's a factory on Aang's sacred lang. Um, sacred land and Katara's like a little upset and Sokka's like this is kind of cool um that's the main dynamic you get from those two uh so they go and check in on the dad and uh dad's dad's the mayor now um he's got a big fancy building so you know a lot of all of this first book is sort of Katara and Sokka going around and being like man things have changed um but we get introduced to two characters from the north who are sort of um down there helping rebuild the south which makes sense and their names are Melina and Malik yeah um and, and that all makes sense, you know, even from like book one of the show, book two of the show. Um, book two opens and there's like water tribe people going down to the south, uh, mainly Paku. But, you know, mm-hmm. they're going down to help. That's what they said. So it makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah. And then the other plot thing that happens is that, okay, um, how did you decide on that pronunciation? I say Malik, but I don't know. Uh, I went for Malik, but you. We don't know. I'm going to go Malik. Malik is probably more common in real life. (laughs) Go Malik. As a pronunciation. Is that the end of his name? There's a Q, yeah. It's pretty wacky. Um, Anyways, Malik's... Let's go with Malik. Yeah. Malik's building design plans are stolen, and Katara and Sokka find a secret organization of water tribe people who are unhappy that there's northerners influencing them. Um, Yeah, so that's, that's the basic premise. From there, it's just like, well, you find out uh, Hakoda, which is their dad, is uh, is into the. Well, they're they're together with the with the northern. Yeah, not just they 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 are together. Yeah, uh, together. Molina and Hakoda. Oh yeah. Yeah, they've been together for some time. Oh yeah. Um, right. He just you know yeah uh, I think. I mean the the sense we get is that like you know, uh, he has not told Katar and Saga about this yet, obviously because you know it's played for as a reveal uh but you know i i, I think it's probably relatively recent on the scale of things yeah. but they are like far enough along that like they they are very committed to each other Fair. um yeah so i mean that's the basic premise the thing that i like a lot about this series is just it's like it's focusedness um and it's i, I like i like the way that it it focuses in on Katara, and I like a lot of the individuals. I like a lot of individual scenes uh, in the first two parts. Where like I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I I have issues with like the the overarching conflict that's presented here, right? In uh, a lot of like the plotting in the third book, mm-hmm. uh, but I I like the directions that we're taking these characters at the beginning. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, like this my... is, you know, I, I I buy the character arc for Katara that she's given, where like you know she has qualms about, uh, you know the the, uh, basically the the North imposing like the their sort of society on the South, uh, and also like 
as a microcosm of that she doesn't like the relationship between Hakoda and Melina because like she feels that like her mom is kind of being replaced and that that makes sense to me because like you know Katara's always been a little bit high strung it like makes sense that she would be upset about something like that even just like as a young person you know yeah, totally I think it totally and works. by the same token it makes sense that like Sokka would be like you know very okay with it yeah I also like the thing here where it's sort of setting up again um you know as we saw in the rift is sort of how technology helps non-benders become more equal. And I like that Sokka sort of takes that position, um, not too seriously, but early on, and, and brings it up to Katara. I think that's... I, I like the way this book has, you know, two two perspectives of main characters, just like the Rift. Um, but... See, that, that, that strikes me as odd, because I, I... I never felt that it was, like, implied in the show that non-benders were... Like, this is something that comes up in Korra. And, like, this is, you know, not a minor problem for me. Like, it's not something I'm going to make a big deal out of. Uh, but at the same time, like, I never felt in the show, like, non-benders were, like, unequal. Like, we just get, like, scenes of Sokka being occasionally like, oh, I can't do anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, the show is following a bunch of big boy benders helping people. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it's enough sort of in that moment for, like, Sokka to be like, hey, I've, you know, I always, I sometimes feel this way. Like, like he understands it. Mm-hmm. respect i thought that was enough i don't know it felt it makes sense you know okay it always it strikes me as like a weird thing to bring up in the lore just because it's kind of like it seems to me discontiguous with like the rest of how the world works like i guess it makes sense is like a thing that would exist in that universe but it also just like doesn't work for me personally because it's not shown like i mean yeah i, th- I think a lot of it is like because like, it's not really set up. It's, like, just something that, like, kind of appears in the comics and then they continue with in Korra. Yeah. I just, I, I never think that it's contradicted, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, I, I believe that that's a thing that happens in this world. Um, it's not a big thing in this book, but if it was a big thing in the in a book, I would like to see it a little more, for sure. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Oh, it's, it's very much, like, backgrounded here. It's just, like, Sokka is, ex- is still excited about driving a forklift. Yes. Yeah. Which is very funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, but a lot of the best stuff in this book is, is character stuff. I mean, um, anything with Katara is great, but one of my favorites is sort of her and, and her dad talking about uh, how he's in a new relationship and how, you know, that sort of bothers her a little bit. Um, I like how sort of open she is. I like how open they are about it. I like that it's not, like, you know, they bottle inside, and Katara's like, it's fine, and then, like, later they yell. Like, I like that in the second part, they just tackle it, Katara's, like, talks to her dad about it. And I, I like that little scene, because it, it's just a nice, a really nice moment between them. Um, and it's also, you know, it connects to, like, her and Aang being together, and how, you know, her dad's supportive of that. And I think that all, that whole scene played really nicely for me. Yeah, that, that, that works for me, I think. Like, again, it, I... I'll get to this later, I think, or perhaps now, but, like, I, I I totally understand the angle of, like, Katara being, like, upset about that, like, existing in her life and, like, having to work through that. Like, I just have issues with how that's resolved. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'd even say, though, that that scene is pretty much... Well, not really, uh, because she gets angry at Melina. Yeah, you're right. Well, anyways, that's a nice moment. Um, I mean, my thing, if, if, if we want to if we want to jump to the end real fast... Because uh, this is one of my bigger issues Wait, with the book, and we things. can let me say good things first. Okay, okay. And it'll it'll lead in nicely. All right. So this book has nice moments like that. 
Uh, Toph comes in a little bit randomly, but has some funny scenes with Sokka. Oh, extremely randomly. <laughs> but has some funny scenes with Sokka. <laughs> Joe, it's it's funny. Aang has a cool new like cloak thing. That's cool. Oh, he does. I love his cloak. <laughs> I really like the art in this book. I like the way that it's like ice everywhere, but still looks really cool. Oh, I while we're while we're gushing about good things, I adore the art. I I absolutely like the best drawn of these books. Uh, Gear Hero get better all the time. Uh, here's another thing I like about this book, um, and this is going to make Joe talk about things he doesn't like, but another thing I like about this book is that in the first two parts, in the first two parts, um, Gilak, the main villain, makes some good points. He makes some nice good points, uh, and he's making a whole lot of sense. Uh, a lot of Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he, his main problem is, he's like, hey, these northerners, like, trying to steal our oil for profit. Like, they're taking, they're making us a colony. That makes him angry. Yeah, they're, they're, they're imperialists, which, like, you know, they kind of are. Like, that is something we see in the book. Like, like they are factually trying to steal their oil. Yep. And they're also, like, factually trying to assimilate the southern tribes into their culture. Yep. And they also see the southerners as uncivilized, which is a... They do. They very much do. Yeah. And that's... that's I like that that's dropped all over the place. Because then it, it, you feel it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's cool new animals. There's a there's a lion with snow leopard with horns. That's cool. Oh yes, I love that one. Yeah, I like the way that the the set piece from the first episode, the haunted ship, comes back. I thought that was cool. Um, I was fine with that. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it. Anyways, um, basically, I like some some of the ideas this book set up, and I like some of the character stuff that it set up. And I think that the first two parts, I've read this a couple, you know trilogy a couple times. I think the first two parts are really solid. I think they're up there with everything else. But Joe, uh, would, would you tear it down? Well, so then it then it goes all downhill in part three. So down, uh, so 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 downhill. Um, so what we were just talking about with uh, Gilluck, uh, all, all the, you know, part of this is in the first couple parts of the series, but it's it's backgrounded significantly. Uh, and what comes about in the third uh, part of the book is that um, they just turn around and they make him a complete villain. He is, you know, a, a crazy, like, morally unambiguous bad guy, which is bizarre because, one, Katara, who is the main character of the book, agrees with him. Uh, and two, like, he's correct. <laughs> like, he's he's wrong about nothing. Well, he's wrong <laughs> like, about... Like, morally, like... Like, he's, he's wrong about, like, you know, the unambiguously bad things he does where, like, he tries to kill people. Yeah. Uh... Which, like, you know, fine, sure, but, like, you know, he didn't have to do that. <laughs> like, that is something that the book decided he needed to do for no reason. Uh, and, you know, what also happens is that, like, we get no resolution on the Northern Tribe stuff. Like, you know, Malik disappears uh, at the end of part two, pretty much, and he never shows up again. Uh, and he's, like, the main aggressive force uh, representing the Northern Tribe because Melina has, like, a change of heart in the middle of this. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! She had a change of heart before. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's it's revealed that she had a change of heart, like in the middle. Though uh, you're correct that uh, you know prior to the events of this, like within this series, she has always been a good guy. Uh, so she's more sympathetic. Uh, so what we have is a series where really nothing is resolved about like the conflict they set up. Nothing. And also they they go to bizarre extents to paint like these characters who are sympathetic, like like Galak and or Gilak and his crew. Uh, like who at the beginning, like we see a lot of them are just like regular people 
like when we're going like through the the abandoned ship from the first episode uh and we we find uh Katara and Sokka find like Galak's crew uh and and all his people like you know a lot of them are just like regular regular dudes like they're just like they want like a a, a good life you know like we see a lot of like I'm I'm going back to the page where there's like a, a two page spread of a lot of them, but like there's just a lot of like regular people, like you know some older guys, some teens, some moms, like <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, I know. It's just, uh, and so to have like them completely removed from like the the like the the you know the common water tribe people completely removed from the story is bizarre. Uh, and at, at the beginning of part three, like they're they're reduced to just like a, a bunch of loony people who like are screaming like uh, they're by a fence uh, and they're like they have signs that like say foreigners get out, which is like absolutely bizarre. Yeah, they change from like you know, hey, we don't like these northern people stealing our oil to like hey, we hate people from the Earth Kingdom. Yeah, like what? they just bec- they just like become huge xenophobes for no reason. Yeah, and it, it's it's also weird because like you know this book came out in 2017 like obviously there's a lot of like rhetoric in the news of, at that time and like still to this day about like you know that sort of incident so like they're clearly drawing a parallel to that but it makes no sense because it's like the opposite situation <laughs> yeah um, I mean for me for me what happens in the second part is that Gilak and his his evil people um, who are not really evil uh, come and they have a big speech that reveals that hey uh, these guys are trying to make us a colony um, and I was like whoa this guy's in the right um, but then what happens is that Melina's like hey that was not my plan but my brother is evil turns out um, <laughs> but um, you know I'll get out of here I'll, I'll get out of here tomorrow um, and we'll, we'll all leave and then Gilak's like no I'm gonna kill you uh, and then he goes and like you know is a madman and then they lock him up and i think the the biggest mistake of part three because really all part three is is gilak getting out of prison again and only being crazy i think that's just such a mm-hmm. weird decision like he he was already in prison like he made his point if that makes sense there was no reason for him to like i think the third part would have been better if they just like wrapped up things and like had conversations or like katara you know could have conflict with different like Toph, obviously she in part two was like, "Hey, I won't, I won't, I wouldn't have worked with these people if I knew they were, they were um, stealing your oil and stuff." And like, but then yeah, she continues to do that. Yeah, and then she does it in the next part. So it's like, "Hey, hey, what?" And, like, you know, we could have gotten some sort of conflict there. Um, just basically, you could have you could have used the whole book to just like wrap things up. But instead, the third part is just like this weird like, madman's out of prison. How do we beat him? Um, and the way that yeah. plays out is not even like good in my opinion. There's like so what happens is we have a prisoner exchange between um oh god, who is it? Um Quang. one of them is the Earth King. Uh and who are they trading over? Are they trading they, they Dakota? Want they want Dakota. Yeah. Um and so, you know, basically what happens is is they're going across this rickety bridge, uh, and and Galak gets on with a torch, and he decides that he's going to burn it down so that they can all die. Wait, you forgot the part uh, where everyone has to be chi blocked, right? And it turns out that Toph invented chainmail uh, with the like with Sokka's design. Actually, I like that part. 
Oh, I think no. I think it's funny that Toph invented chainmail. I don't like that how it happens. And then also, there's like, hey, the metal bending students that we introduced at the beginning of the third part—they're here, and you didn't know about them. So surprise yeah. attack. That's ridiculous. Um, Zuko also shows up at the beginning of this one, not to do anything, just to be there because oh, Jin yeah. Yang wanted him to be there in his last book. That was stupid. Hang and Hang and Toph also do relatively little, to be honest. I agree. Well, Aang, Aang is helpful. Aang has a little bit of a purpose. Uh, so what happens is and that... Uh, is an executive partner of yes. stealing the feathers oil. <laughs> so what happens at the end is we, ha- we have this big scenario where, where uh, everybody's like dangling from, from this cliff and, and they have to save everybody, but then, then Galak falls because he, he... He's fat. You know, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and then, then Katara has to make the decision to save Molina... Which is bizarre because, like, you know, that's not a resolution to her conflict because, of course, she was going to save Melina because she's a good person. She's a her- heroic character. Like, that's that's yeah. not a decision she would have to make. I guess if Katara didn't have a change of heart, she would have let Melina die. I guess that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, uh, so throughout this, we we have. Um, uh, I forget what their names are. Sura and Siku, uh, who are these little girls uh, who are from the Southern Water Tribe and are being trained by Paku, uh, oh, yeah. who is the elder from the Northern Water Tribe that taught Katara and Aang uh, sort of to master waterbending in season one. Uh, and, you know, they, they are trying to hide their waterbending because they've been, they've been taught uh, that, uh, you know, the Fire Nation would take it away from them because they've lived their whole lives in like uh, just this imperialist setting. Uh, which is fine, uh, but then you know they just kind of decide at the end that they're gonna uh, be okay with waterbending. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Um, okay. And that 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 ties in because you know the way the reason they decide that is the end of Katara's character arc, uh, which is where she makes this big old speech about how uh, as long as uh, she waterbends, her mom will always be with her, uh, which is also strange because that's not quite the conflict that I was getting from her. And also like is something that I thought was like pretty intuitive to her character. Like that is one of the first things we learn about her in the show that like her waterbending is a way to connect her to her mom and to her culture. Like that's why she wears her necklace. Like, so that doesn't read to me as a development so much as just like a, a reaffirmation. Yeah. I actually, I like that scene. I think it's pretty. I mean, I, I, I think it's fine. Like, like it's, it, it it works, but it doesn't strictly make sense. Uh, sorry, I like it, but I don't think it wraps into the the other stuff that was going on. So it's just a nice okay on its own. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I like that she's like making a memorial to her mom. Like that's sweet. Uh, and then in the final scene, uh, we get something absolutely bizarre, where all the characters are having a big a big meal, uh, and they bring food from from every nation, except for the Southern Water Tribe. <laughs> I had to go back and check this, but uh, Aang brings steamed tofu, Katara brings northern-style seaweed stew, Toph brings braised turtle duck, Zuko Wait. brings extra spicy fire noodles. Hey, I think I could have told you all of those. Right. <laughs> and it's absolutely yeah. bizarre, because in this whole story that's re- re- revolved around like the identity of the Southern Water Tribe, like what's what's happening there, and then we just get this weird affirmation that, like, I guess the Southern Water Tribe just doesn't exist anymore. 
no, I, I think the idea is that it's opening to the world, but without being, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even going to It's that. just absolutely bizarre. It's random. It's random. It's a nice, okay, it's a nice page spread at the end, though. All yeah, and then that's the final that's the final thing that Jin Yang ever wrote for Avatar. It's nice. They're eating together. They're eating they're eating uh phrase turtle duck. And uh Yeah, I mean I, I should I should qualify that the final the final dialogue that Jin Yang ever wrote for Avatar Last Airbender was Sokka saying, Man, this all smells so good. Less talking, more eating. Which is it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Jin Yang wrote that and then continue to make make trilogies of avatar comics where Sokka just gorges on food <laughs> Silently. oh man okay yeah um do you have do you have any concluding book. thoughts on this book um yeah i'm gonna nitpick it just because uh not because i i mean we're, we were a little mean to this book i think it's <laughs> we were a little mean i i want to reaffirm like like i said at the beginning of the episode that like you know we we both really love Gene Yang as a creator. Like this is probably the only misstep I could identify in like his entire career. Yeah, but I'm like, gonna nitpick <laughs> it because I'm an Avatar fan. Um, I think it's weird. Feel free. How many people that there are that they recognize? I think it's weird. I don't get it. Like their tribe was really small. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I mean they they were they were in a village. Like it was a small small village. I guess the idea is that there was more villages around. I mean, they only really recognize like Auntie Ashuna and like then no, a couple people. No, because remember when that crowd of people comes? Oh, really? Well, the crowd huh. of people seem to know them. I don't know. I mean, I can buy that. Like, there were a lot of kids in that village, so there's probably a lot of adults. Okay, fine. Um, I'll um, I'll take that. I don't really care that much. Um, there's a weird moment where. Sokka forgot that. Actually, sorry, you're 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 correct because a lot of the, a lot of the the bit from that village is that like, you know, a lot of the 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 adult men are like off at war. Probably right. a lot of the adult women too. I'm sorry. <laughs> the women are at war. Yeah. Right. Mm, I mean, because it's like you know, Katar and Sokka are like some of the eldest people in the village. Wasn't that like some of the idea? I just don't think the women went to war. I don't think there was any women in the war. I I could be misremembering. I, I feel like the Water Nation or the Water Tribe Army is egalitarian. <laughs> I don't I know. Don't why know. Saka always talks about the men. He, like that's a term he uses. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know, but also we don't see any older women besides Grand Grand, right? And old ladies, yeah. Some old ladies. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't think about that. Um, I don't know. It's a little weird, but it makes sense because that was the first episode. Like production, you know, is different. Like it was just sure, a long yeah. time ago, you know. Like, I, yes, uh, it's pretty fair. Um, I, I think it's it's weird that the two little girls won't waterbend. Like, didn't their mom tell them that it was okay? Now, I just think that's weird. I don't get it. Like. I mean, I, I understand the setup there, and I think that's, like, potentially intriguing, but then the, the way that they resolve it doesn't track for me at all, as I said previously. Okay, it just doesn't make that much sense to me. Like, why are they hiding it? 
I mean, part of it for them is like it's it's part of like you know their special thing, which I think is supposed to be like reflective of like the whole uh, North versus South dichotomy of the book, uh, where like you know the okay is 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 the idea supposed to be that they're they're like protecting their culture unnecessarily because that's some weird commentary <laughs> given the context of the rest of the book maybe because those kids are from the south <laughs> yeah it might be that actually um that's dumb i like that less now that i've articulated that <laughs> i'm okay with it i mean it makes sense they, you know they're, they're gonna share their their culture with the world i guess that's the idea at the end of the book too I mean, that's what they're going for, but it's not how it actually plays out. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, don't, I don't. It's weird when Sokka forgets that his his grandfather is is his, has been married. Yeah, I I um I pointed this out to you when we were reading uh, when I was reading through it the, for the first time because I had just finished watching the series and like uh or rewatching the show and in one of like the closing episodes, uh, they they do find out that like. Grand Grand and Paku are like, if not married, at least engaged. Uh, but it, it sounds like they're married. Is the thing about that line? So yeah, the idea is that they went to get married. But why is Sokka surprised? It's just weird. Sokka is just flabbergasted that Grand Grand and Paku are married, even though like, even if they were engaged, like he knew this was a thing that would happen. Yeah, I don't know. And also, it's been at least a year. <laughs> It's yeah, it's weird. Okay, um, I guess I want to do the timeline because I kept forgetting to do it all the other times. Yes, uh, we should jump right into that. Okay, so the weird thing here is that Toph is an executive partner, right? Okay. So that remember that scene at the end of the rift where she's like, "Hey," and punches that guy with such such such. Yes, the the scene that takes place three months after the events of the series proper. Right. Um, so. The thing is, because this the smoke and shadow, the first part takes place, you know, right before the rift. We know that the, the beginning of the rift is only a week after that, and then we know that it's a month. The next part of smoke and shadow, so you know, from smoke and shadow one and two, it's a month. So three months after the rift, you know, it has to. Oh, be, I see where this is going. <laughs> has to be three months out, um, and then smoke and shadow ends, and like. You know, now, 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 and only now is Aang coming back to the to the Southern Tribe. So, so when did that festival happen? It probably still hasn't happened. Is the thing, right? You see where I'm going? Right. So, so doesn't that mean that North and South has to take place between parts one and two of Smoke and Shadow? Is that what I'm getting there? No, because Aang comes back. Oh, in the second part. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, um. Yeah, I mean, yes? No. No, no, no. Because Smoke and Shadow Part 2, they set off. Oh. Right? I thought they set off at the beginning of Part 1. No, that's when they go to the ceremony, and then then Katara and Sokka set off alone at the beginning of Part 2. Okay. Basically, the point is, there's no way that that festival has happened yet. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so then, in the next series, they go to that town again, and it's a big city, which I guess should still work. But uh, Toph isn't an executive partner, so it doesn't fit, um, and that's the deal with that. Um, also, 
sorry, Toph is not an executive partner in Imbalance? In in that flash forward in the in the rift. Huh. Right? Weird. Isn't that true? Because she she punches him and says, Hey, I thought we were gonna collaborate. Oh, you're you're correct. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's weird about that scene. Um but that's just that scene. Uh, and then there's there's this other thing going on where they, they quote um, Jin Yang saying that I think the search, if I remember, is two years out from the show, but they make that out to be the beginning of the show, not the end of the show. So there's like, okay. a, like a year, you know, more or less a year long consistency. I, I buy that because at the end of the show, they mention it having been pretty much a year. Well, it's summer. It's the end of summer. Yeah. So two two years from the beginning of the show what about those months a year a year from the summer makes it the beginning of the next summer <laughs> i mean the end of the, the end of the next summer right mm-hmm. which means it hasn't closed two years since the beginning of the show <laughs> wait when does the when does the show start uh 99 winter 99 okay and then the year changes to 100. Mm-hmm. So let's say December. I don't know. When does winter start? November? Uh, sure. I mean, December, but... Okay, let's say December. So then September, October, November. If it's a year exactly, which I take it to be. Do you? In the, in the promise? Sure. One year? Yeah. I mean, they, they say one year. <laughs> All right, so end of the summer. And then the promise, what happens in the promise? Promises what a couple days? Yeah. <laughs> How long between the promise? Well, we know that it's a couple months since May and Zuko. Well, we know it's a couple months since May got approached by what's his name? Um, Kalo. Kalo. Do we know how long Kalo is from her breakup to Zuko? Uh, I would not know. <laughs> hmm. Well, the thing is, you you can you can make up space between the promise and the search, but like, how much time do you think is between the promise and the search? <laughs> I guess a couple months is what Yang is saying. If he's saying it's from the beginning of the show, I I, I suppose so. I, I oh wait 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 now I remember. Beginning of the show makes sense. Two month two years from about two years from the beginning of the show makes sense. Two years from the end of the show doesn't make sense. Boom. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Okay. So they they do it as end of the show, but it makes more sense for beginning of the show. There it is. Gotcha. Thank you for just, edifying me. I had to like recreate that because I used to be angry about it. <laughs> I had to put it away, and I had to rebuild it in my head. Um, right. Thank you for edifying me on the the intricacies of the Avatar timeline and all its inconsistencies. So so if if the promise is September, then there's no way that a whole another year passed for the search. Right. That makes absolutely zero sense. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would be inclined to agree. Anyways, his wording is like two years out from the show, you know. So it's, <laughs> it's just a little confusing, but the wiki mm-hmm. sense him, so that's that. Yeah, I'm angry about that. Well, I, I'm not. I don't let myself feel about it anymore. But I used to be angry. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you've learned to move past that phase in your life. Yeah, makes sense though, except for that thing in the rift. Nick, I believe you have a, a wise quote for us to close up the show. I do. This one's from Confucianus, I guess. 
Um, when a wise man points at the moon, the imbecile examines the finger. Is that is that con- is that Confucius? Yes. Yeah. Huh. I guess. I mean, so so the thing. the origin story for that, as we discovered it, is that my brother sent it to both of us as a submission for the the wise quote section on this show, uh, because he found it etched in a desk at his college. All the internet says that it's Confucius. Yeah, I I, I, I assume that it was a, really a sure. saying from from random college student. I think I think we're you know not really sure because it was such a, such a long time ago. But we're sure. pretty sure. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com where you can send us listener questions. Uh, we might want to do one of those again soon. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joby underscore draws. You can read my webcomic Aeronauts at jobydraws.com. As always, Nick has nothing to promote. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It would really help with the show. Bye. Bye.